Jesus? Are you happy to be in the house of God? You ready for a great night? Turn to the person next to you and say, let's go. Turn back and say, you're gorgeous. I love it. Love is in the air. It is great to be with you. If we've never met, um, if you weren't here this morning, uh, my, like Pastor Mark said, my name's Josh. Sean's, Sean's my wife. Um, we love this church. If I, I'm in the church I'm in, I love the church I'm in. But if I would have been in any other church in this country, I would be part of this church. And, so, and you know, I don't say that in every church I go to. I did say every campus I went to is my favorite. But uh, this is a special church. And sometimes we can get so familiar with the place we're in and we don't realize how good it actually is. But you are in a spectacular church. This is a church that's filled with life. It's filled with faith. It knows how to laugh. Pastor Mark knows how to cry. It's a place where everyone is accepted. It's generational. It's filled with the Holy Spirit. People find Jesus. We've got vision to do more. We're planting campuses. Like This is special what you're a part of. Make sure... You pray for this church and you give to this church and you love this church and you bring people to this church because you are part of a spectacular community of faith. Do you believe it? Yes. You really do. And you, you have that because you have incredible senior pastors. Who reckons Pastor Mark and Nina are the best pastors in the world? They are. Um, you might be new. You might not have been here long. Can I tell you, go up and see them. Sometimes we go to churches and we're like, oh, can I, am I allowed to talk to the pastor? One, all pastors want to, or they should, they should all want to do life with you. But I know these guys do. And I want to ask you something, pray for them. I believe God's leading them into the most important and fruitful seasons of their life. And, and walking through a pandemic is very difficult for anyone. But leading a church where we've to places we've never been before, stretching and walking through things that we've never done before, having to hear from God and have answers that we've never had to think about before is not an easy thing. And I look around here and I go, this church is in hell. It's like, you know, all day, this is a generational church. I love this. But it's so great to see the number of younger people in faith here tonight. I think that's just incredible. But to see the fruit we have is not by fluke. It's because you have praying, godly, wonderful leaders but they need your prayer. They need your support. And you might just think these guys are the best. Sometimes we think it, but we don't say it. And I'm sure so many of you do. And they would hate me saying this. But tell your pastors how much you love them. They're on the doors. They're, 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 they're accessible. They, they're there for you. Take a moment to tell them that you're praying for them and that you love them and that you're, you know, you're there for them because I know they're there for you. Pastor Mark and Nina, we love you guys. We honor you guys. We thank you for the church this is. Can we just honor our senior pastors for a moment? They're the best. I want to, um, I just want to help teach you tonight on something that I think is going to help everyone. I especially think this will help um, anyone that's, you know, just maybe a young and old, early 30s. But this is a message for everyone tonight. But I especially want to just help bring a teaching. Like I'm, a, I'm a faith guy. I'm a Holy Spirit man. I love to stir people. I think my gift is to activate faith inside of you. And I'm going to do that today. But I want to teach you through something just to be able to help you to see the fullness of who Jesus is so that you can get the most out of your walk, your prayer, and everything that he has for your life. So today I'm going to talk to a message called both and. Everyone say both and. Both and. 
So I want to talk about reverence and relationship. I'm going to talk about the fact that we walk in reverence and relate. Whoa, there you go. Someone created that. There you go. Lovely. Fantastic. All right, reverence and relationship. 2 Peter 3 verse 18 says this, but grow in the grace. We'll put it on the screen if we can. Wonderful. There we are. Lovely. But grow in the grace. Everyone say grace. Grace. And knowledge. Everyone say knowledge. In the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One is to be sought for. One is to be rested in. Which is God? He could be both. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you for a great church, great people, and that your word is going to speak today. I pray that you would lead us, guide us, reveal things to us, so that we may know all of who Jesus is here tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me tell you about a confusing time in my life. It was when I was starting to date my now wife, Shana, right? Um, I, Shana and I were friends for a long time. Um, the truth is, Shana and I went to school together. She was in the year below me. She actually went to school with my brother. And for about six years, my brother had the hugest crush on Shana. And, uh, but, uh, you know, older brother has the privileges. And... Uh, and it wasn't that at all. It just was, they actually went to the formal together, and, and eventually she was never interested in him. That's what she says. And he was always interested in her. And after heartbreak and pain, uh, uh, eventually um, uh, he quit trying. And uh, turns out that she was actually interested somewhere along the line in me. Now, we were friends, but I was a clueless boy. And some of you girls that are looking at some of the guys that's here in the early 20s, and you're wondering why they're not figuring it out, it's because they're still boys. And, uh, and so I was a clueless boy, and we were hanging out, and apparently Chance was flirting a whole heap, and I never picked it up. And there was this one day, where she's loving this, by the way, that one day we were playing basketball, and, uh, and I let her win. She would say different, but I've got the microphone. And um, I let her win, and, uh, and then we went in. In and, and we're just talking, and Shans is like, so what's happening? And I'm like, well, know what's happening with you? And she's like, well, is there something here? Like, I'm kind of interested in you, and are you inter- interested in me? And I was, no, I'll tell the story. <laughs> and, and I was, and I was like, nah, not really. Just want to hang with the boys, and you know, I just got a job, wanted to make money, and I, I just didn't realize this was such a big thing. Well, a year goes by, I've moved on, I never knew, but Shans was heartbroken, singing the Avril Lavigne and all that sort of stuff, writing like long poems, and, uh, and, and eventually we go to a gig one night, we see a friend's band, we go play pool, and my friend was interested in her, and because I'm a competitive male, uh, I now was interested in her because my friend was interested, and then I decided to ask her out. It's a classic Disney love story, and... Uh, and do what I, don't do what I say, not what I do. And, and so I decided to ask her out the next day. And in the most romantic way I could, not having a clue, I was at work and I decided to write her an email. <laughs> Dear Sharda, great game of pool last night. Good win. I let you win. Wondering if you'd like to go out with me sometime. Kind regards, Josh. <laughs> Somehow, she said yes. So we go out on our first date. Now, Shans and I grew up very differently, especially after around the age of 18. I grew up very sheltered. 
I mean, two, I got married at 24. I shared a bedroom the size of a small prison with a prison room with my two brothers. I slept on the top bunk because when I was 10, I thought that was cool. At 24, it's not cool to have the top bunk. <laughs> I never, until I was 18. At 18 was the first day, my, my first day of university was the first day I was allowed to get the bus and go into the city by myself. And Shans was now my first girlfriend because finally mum and dad said yes at 24. Well, at 18, Shans moved out of home and she lived with her friends. Shan started, studied many degrees. She started her own business. She was her own practicing remedial massage therapist, had health science, was studying naturopathy. She had traveled the world for three months uh, backpacking, literally backpacking in hostels, wherever she could get a, a couch to sleep on, tenting, camping. I mean, this girl did it all. She ran with the cartel for a while. She started a tattoo parlor. Uh, I mean, this was Shan. I mean, she was like, over her ringtone to her, to her phone was like, Oh, my women, independent. She's missing, like Beyonce, she's Miss Independent. And so we go out on our first date, and I open the door for her. And she looks at me like, do I not have my own two hands? I can do it myself, thank you very much. She let me walk in first. We went to pay for our meal. This is right, this is how she went. We went to pay for our meal. And I went to pay for it, because guys, you should pay. And Shines went, I have a job, I've been working longer than you, we'll split it. We split it on our first date. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> so, time goes on and we're now married. We go out with our friends one night and uh, we have the night and, and we get in the car and I think it's been a great night, a great double date night. We get in the car and Shans is a little bit silent. I don't know if any of the guys have ever heard, felt that silence. You don't hear the silence, you feel it deep in your soul. And I'm like, babe, what's up? What's up? I tried to give her a muesli bar, sometimes hangry, you know, and she's, and, uh, and she's, she's like, nothing's wrong. Now, when she says nothing's wrong, that means something is totally wrong. I said, no, what is it? And she goes, well, Phil opens the door for Christy but you never opened the door for me. And I'm like, are you kidding? Like, where's my destiny's child girl? Cartel running, tattoo starting, park camping, Where, where's that girl? She goes, well, maybe I want my door open for me. I said, which one is it? Do you want me to open your door or do you want to open your own door? And she goes, I want both. And I said, how will I know? And she said, you just better know. <laughs> the truth is, she wants both and. Life is filled with confusing yet beneficial messages. And we get told, don't, we're told, look after your body, but just don't focus on it too much. Eat healthy, but enjoy what's in front of you. Push yourself, I've heard this, push yourself, but don't push too hard. Where's the line? Be content in life, but also be happy for more. We live in this both and that can be confusing. And we say the same thing. Someone asks us something and we're like, it's a definite maybe. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, what? You know, have you ever done this? I paid too much for it, but it's worth it. <laughs> if it's worth it, you didn't pay too much for it. Yeah. I've said to my kids, kids, stand closer apart. And they're like, which one is it? <laughs> is it closer apart? So they end up kind of doing this. 
or, 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 or you've ever heard this said to you by parents and you do something ridiculous. If you fall off and break your legs, don't come running to me. <laughs> Won't be able to, mum. I don't say with my boys. I brought you into this world and I can take you out of it. Now come give your dad a hug. And they're like, who is he? And we live in this both and, and the truth is God is the same. And today I want to just help bring maturity around who God is, because often we pick a side, and maybe God's both. Is he a God of revelation, or is he a God of mystery? Well, the truth is he's God of both. Is he kingdom now or kingdom later? It's, it's both. Is the way narrow, but it's also deep and wide? The truth is, it's both. And there's these seemingly inconsistencies that when you get into the Word and when you get into hearing different teachers, that we can get stuck on arguing, arguing these incomplete dualities, like is the gospel uh, feeding the poor or is it proclaiming the Word, like God chooses a side. But we seem to have these arguments and disagreements about God can be split to be one person or another. That is really based on our limited thinking or our experiences or the teaching in the church or the family that we grow up in and we choose a side rather than opening ourselves up to God is all of that. I used to play basketball and my, I was a right-hander and, and because I could lay up with my right, it didn't mean my coach didn't teach me to use my left hand as well. And, and maybe there's this thing that there's maybe two sides to God and they're not in competition with each other. They actually walk in harmony with each other. And if we can understand all of who God is, we can understand all that he has for us and understand all that he is for us. See, most of, most of us would like faith to reduce tension. We come and open the scriptures so there's less tension. But Jesus actually creates tension. Jesus is the one that said, be anxious for nothing, but always be alert. He's the one that said, be last in order to be first. He said, be weak if you want to be strong. He said, you will have to lose your life if you want to find your life. Well, which one is it, Jesus? Well, they walk in harmony together. And all of these tensions we see in the both and of God, we actually see in Scripture. That in one hand of Scripture, we see a God that is to be revered. That he has size and power and authority and all dominion and majesty and lordship and he expects us to worship him. Yet when I read other verses, I see God is kind. He is my brother. He is my lover. He is my friend. He is my dad. And I have to ask myself, which one is it? I'll read scriptures like Proverbs 9 verse 10 and we'll put them up. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then I'll go to Psalm 36. It says, how precious is your unfailing love, O God. I then go to another verse like Matthew 10 verse 28 that says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And then I go to Exodus, the Old Testament that says, you are my treasured possession. No one loves me like you. We have this in our songs. I know I'm not Jason. I cannot sing. But we sing songs. Give it up. How good is Jason? My, my gosh. My gosh. Cut that hair for youth camp. We sing these songs like, I exalt thee. And they have this amazing reverence. And then we sing Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. And we, 
go from one side that is all about how big and mighty God is, and then his love is reckless and overwhelming. Which side is it? The truth is we might say it's both, but the reality is we always pick a side. If you're here in this room, you've got to walk with God. The tr truth is you're more than likely you've chosen a side. We always choose. Like, if I were to ask today, Pepsi or Coke? Let's do, it. Let's do a little experiment, okay? If you would prefer Pepsi, lift your hand today. If you would prefer Coke, lift your hand today. The truth is you're both wrong. Have water, okay? <laughs> if you, let's go Apple or Android, okay? Who would choose? We all choose a side. Who chooses Apple? Okay. Who wrongly chooses Android? Okay. We all choose a side. Okay. Let's get this. Um, Princess Kate versus Meghan Markle. Okay. Who's a Princess Kate person? Who's a Suits person? <laughs> and the truth is, we can't help but choose a side. Now, if you're here today and maybe you grew up in a more mainline church, like maybe a Baptist church or a Lutheran, there's a, there's a high chance you're more likely to see God from a reverence point of view. If you grow up in a Pentecostal, more charismatic kind of church like this one, there's a high chance you grow up with a more relational point of view. If you're here today and maybe you've been following Jesus for 30 or more years, there's a good chance that you do view God, read scripture and pray from a reverent point of view. If you're younger in faith and you've found Jesus in the last 10 to 20 years or so or, or less, there's a high chance you see Jesus in a highly relational point of view. And we have to ask ourselves, which is right? Is it to see him reverently or is it to see him relationally? And the truth is it's both and. It's both. You see, uh, what God does is God expects reverence and he desires relationship. He requires your worship and he inspires intimacy. That he is almighty and he is all gentle. He is judge. He is judge. But he is also grace for those that will be judged. He is lion and he is lamb. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is all powerful and he is all wonderful. And if you want to know all of who God is, understand some of his ways and what he has for you, the truth is you have to learn to walk the line of both ends. Are you doing okay today? Because I say with my kids, I have to discipline my kids. I have to correct my kids. I have to align my kids. But at the same time, I have to love and nurture my kids. And if I don't, they won't be complete men. And without realizing that we actually have a bent and a way of viewing God, it's like praying, reading scripture, worshiping and talking to God with a patch over my eyes. I can see him, but I can't see him fully. And it actually affects how you walk with God. If you see God from a reverent point of view, when it comes to rest, the truth is you won't rest enough. But if you see God from a relational point of view, well, you probably rest a little bit too much. If you, your prayer life, often, if you see God from a reverent point of view or grew up with a more reverent understanding of God, you're more likely to pray long, more religious prayers that say things that feel right when you pray. But if you have a more relational point of view, your prayers will often be more me-centric and more about what you're walking through. When it comes to your obedience, often you serve God and worship God out of fear if you're in the reverent point of view. But if you have a relational perspective, no one tells me what to do because I'm a child of God and I'll do whatever I want to do. If you are someone that, uh, that has a more reverent point of view, you often won't represent God as joy-filled and enjoyable. And if you're here and you have someone that just has a relational point of view, well, God's no different to everyone else and everyone can just do what everyone else wants to do because there's no difference between you and the rest of the world. 
When things are out of balance, skewed to the left or the right, we actually walk out of balance. Are you doing okay today? See, our walk with God must have reverence. Let me talk on both of these for a moment. Our walk must have reverence because we have to recognize and honor the authority of God with awe and fear because think for a moment who we are talking to. He is the almighty creator of the heaven and the earth. He is our judge and our savior. He is our almighty counselor and he deserves more respect than any of us could ever give him. It is only there with understanding of his wonder and his majesty do we get a picture of how incredible our God is that he transcends time and space and he is bigger than the entire universe itself and our life is just merely a tiny speck in it and it was all created before I even came into existence and therefore he deserves all of my obedience, honor and adoration. He is a God that says leave your nets. He is a God that says leave the family. He is a God that says all or nothing. He is the one that says pick up your cross. He is the one that is Lord and for him him to be Lord means you must give him all power, all authority, and all control. Amen? Amen. He deserves your reverence. And Scripture is very clear in that. But he also desires relationship. He gave his life for us while we were still sinners. That he is brother. He is father. He is friend. He is lover. The Bible calls him Abba, which means daddy, father. It's intimacy. He is here to talk to you. He is here to help you. He is here to guide you. He is here to protect you. He is here to provide for you. He is here to make a way for you. You can rely on him. You can depend on him. You can lean on him. You can rest in him. You can wait for him. He is there. He gave everything for you and everything he made, everything you see, he gave for you. He is the God that loves you so intimately. So which God is it? It's both. And what does he demand from you? And what does he expect from us? Is that we would realize maybe where we stand and work towards an understanding of the fullness of God. Because can I just show you something for a moment? If you only see God or you primarily see God from a reverence point of view, which is right, but not in its fullness, what will happen is you will often live, if we're honest, a little bit scared of God. That we're a little bit fearful that if I get it wrong or if I didn't pray often enough or if I didn't turn up to church this week, that God would actually be upset with me. We'd never say it, but deep inside we feel like we've failed him. That we're constantly double-checking ourselves. We're controlling. We're hard. We're religious. And it leads us to not be safe. It causes us not to live with joy unspeakable, to live in fear and maybe a little bit out of obligation. We often feel that God is harsh and judgmental. So whenever I'm wrong, I have to go and see the harsh and judgmental God. We often become a little bit legalistic. And as we follow him, the doors we leave behind us for people to follow him also are far too small for anyone to make it through. Because no one can live to our lofty standard. But if we see God from a relational only point of view or primarily just from a relational point of view, here's the thing. We think the answer is always yes to me. God's promises are yes and 
Amen. Except that's not what the scripture says. It says, he says yes, and we utter the amen, which means whatever he says yes to, we amen. But we think he says yes and amen to whatever I ask for. Truth is, my kids come and ask me sometimes, Dad, can I have a day off school? I don't say no to them. I'm saying yes to their future, so I send them to school. And what they have to do is, they don't, I don't care whether they agree or not, they just have to align. We're not having a conversation. I have to align to my yes. God doesn't, I don't negotiate with an ant, and God doesn't need to negotiate with you. You need to find a way to say yes to what, amen to what he says yes to. But when you see him from this point of view, you think everything is yes. And that God will make everything fit for my convenience. We often ponder here and move towards selfishness that we often see God as weak. We see God as lover, but therefore he's there to only meet my needs, which leads you to often being Lord of your own life, which is tested when you are no longer able to be Lord of your own life or someone asks you to do something that you don't want to do. That when we pray, God is more my consultant and my advisor than he is God that I align with, that I won't submit to accountability, don't tell me what to do, that everything is an option. And maybe there's just a better one. There's familiarity, and when I get given boundaries from God, I feel like I'm being boxed in rather than being protected, and I want to widen the narrow road. One is this metaphorical, me-centric picture of God. That's actually not true. And the other is this Old Testament angry kind of picture of God that is also not true. You see, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't say, I, came to, I, 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 I didn't come to get rid of the law. He said, I come to fulfill it, which means he said, I come to complete it. You see, when Jesus came to walk this earth, he said, you have only recognized and noticed and focused on one side of God. But he didn't say, I came to do away with that reverent Lord, uh, 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 almighty or wonderful picture of God. He didn't come to say, now I'm the loving, kind, generous Jesus that does everything you want me to do. He said, no, I come to fulfill it. I come to complete it. I come to give you the full picture of who I am. And it's not, a, it's not a rule of which comes first. It's not which follows the other. It's actually that we have a responsibility to walk the line. That we have a responsibility to understand all of who Jesus is so that you can have all of who Jesus is. Amen? Are you doing a car? I know it's a bit deep tonight. But if you can capture this, this will help your prayer life. It'll help your worship. It'll help how you follow God. So can I show you two examples in Scripture of where all Jesus wanted to do was move people back to a balanced picture? The first was the story I did this morning, if you were here. I talked about the wedding at Cana. This is one of Jesus' most controversial miracles and makes some people very uncomfortable because I talked about today that it actually gives you the measurements of how much water there was that Jesus turned to wine. And there is enough water for Jesus to make 800 bottles of wine after the speeches somewhere at this wedding. Why is Jesus doing such a controversial miracle? It's because his first miracle was to move people back into the balanced picture that God is not cruel and he's not after a religious experience where you walk in lack and hardship but instead the picture of wine for the Jews was always a picture of joy but they never thought they could enjoy God so the first miracle Jesus does is not to do away with their old picture of God but to bring them into balance to say this is all of who I am I am almighty and all powerful and I'm all providing and all loving and I want our relationship to be filled with 
joy. The miracle at Cana was bringing things into balance. But can I give you another miracle? We see this now in the book of Mark, chapter 4. And Jesus is in a boat with his disciples, and he's fast asleep in the bottom of the boat, and all of a sudden, this huge storm comes out of nowhere. It's not a normal storm. It implies like there's hurricane, there's wind. The disciples who are expert fishermen, that means they're on boats every day of their life are literally thinking they're about to drown. And Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat, and they come to him, and they cry out to Jesus, teacher, don't you care if I drown? Can you imagine some of our prayers sometimes is a bit like that. Teacher, don't you care about me and if we drown? And so Jesus says this, and we'll put it on the screen. He says, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were, say it with me, terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He spoke to a hurricane and he says, quiet, be still. Almost like he's talking to a small child. Shush. And it says there that the wind and the waves became completely calm. If you translate this, it's best to say dead calm. What this means is that one word from Jesus and all of a sudden the storm stops dead in its tracks. So now let's go to the disciples. Before the storm, the disciples are afraid. But after Jesus speaks, now they're terrified. Because beforehand, they just saw Jesus as their friend that was there to do whatever they wanted. And they got so familiar, they were able to wake him up and say, don't you care about me? Are you wanting me to drown? And the storm that they couldn't control was completely unmanageable. But the storm, while it had immense power, was nothing compared to the power and the authority of Jesus. And if they couldn't control the storm, they couldn't control Jesus either. Because if you can't control a storm, how do you control the one that controls the storm? Maybe the keys can come and join me. So what they saw is a friend that didn't care. On one side, they see a God that shouldn't care because it's all about religion. It's all about his, his bigness and that we couldn't talk, we couldn't relate, we couldn't be close. So he brings them closer. And on the other side, they see a friend that has to jump and move to their whim and their fears. And they treat him as someone that doesn't care. So he brings them back to a place with balance and reverence. He moves them to the middle. What are we saying here today? We're saying whatever perspective you view God from, and maybe it's balanced, but maybe it has a skew. Maybe it has a bent. Maybe your upbringing and experience, which we all have, that God allowed you to have, wouldn't be the only way you view Him. But growing into maturity allows you to see the fullness of Him, to understand the majesty of Him, to understand how magnificent and larger than I am and I can understand, but how wonderful and kind He is also. Depending on where you stand, will show whether you get the full picture of him or not. Now, I teach a relational type of God. That's the way I express. I grew up in a charismatic Pentecostal church like this. So my teaching style is relational. But if I'm honest, when I pray, I pray from a reverent point of view. I, I pray with, to be honest, often 
God, uh, if I do this, will you do this? God, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I'll do better. I'll, I'll make a way. I, 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 know, I, I know I didn't read my devotions for long enough today. And, and, and I don't believe what I actually pray. But inside me, there's something that says, God, I have to just prove to you that I'm good enough. I work very hard. And part of that's my upbringing. Part of that's my passion. But the truth is, part of it is this perspective that has to come back into balance. Because right here in the center is where I need to be. But this is the most important thing you can hear today. While he is more important, so more powerful than the storm, the storm doesn't love you. But Jesus does love you. See, don't get this wrong. He's not under your control. And he does let things happen that you don't understand. But because he's good. And he'll let you go through things that you don't understand. Because He's good. And His power is limitless, but also so is His wisdom, His grace, and His love. That God is good and He has good for you. See, if the disciples had realized in balance that He was all-powerful and all-loving, then they never would have been afraid. He wasn't just one. He wasn't just the other. He was both end. And as we walk with Him, and as we worship Him, and as we talk about Him, and as we serve Him, and as we read about Him, and as we spend time with Him, it's only in this balanced perspective that we get all of Him. That He is both day and night. He is both summer and winter. He is both the calm and He is the storm. That He is the God of yes and He's the God of no. He's a God that's to be feared and He's a God that's to be loved. He's a God that's to be obeyed and He's a God that's to be trusted. He's more incredibly large and powerful than you could ever imagine. But He is also more personally loving than in any other place you could find. Isaiah says it this way in chapter 9, verse 6. I think it brings it together beautifully. It says, And He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Which is He? He's both. And what's so magnificent is He'll meet you wherever you are. But He wants you to see all of who He is. 